My name is Karina, and I have the privilege of working here at Reality as the Kids Ministry Coordinator. Uh, today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 12, verses 17 to 23. In addition, I will read related passages from Proverbs, and they will all be on the screen for you to follow. Proverbs chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No harm overtakes the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in the people who are trustworthy. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. A reliable witness always tells the truth, but an unreliable one tells nothing but lies. Kind words bring life, but cruel words crush your spirit. A word fitly spoken and in due season is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lip. This is God's word. Thanks, Karina. <laughs> We've been learning from Proverbs what it has to say about wisdom and the heart and our emotions. And today, of course, we come to the very important topic of our words. Let's pray together and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us on this much needed area. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every person here matters to you. The way in which we speak to and of one another also matters to you. We pray today that as we open your word, you would open our hearts to both conviction and also encouragement. Pray that you would correct us of the ways in which we've been speaking that are not helpful and encourage us in the ways that are. And we pray that ultimately you'd lead us to the good word of the gospel and how we are transformed from the inside out and how that changes the way we speak. If there's anyone here who does not yet know you, I pray that today they would know and understand who Jesus is, what he has done for them, and that they would believe and be saved. We ask it together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, in the days of the telegraph, I'm told that you would visit a telegraph office and compose a message that was then sent by Morse code. Accuracy was key. And on one day in the early 1900s, a woman touring Europe telegraphed her husband back home in the States the following message. Have found wonderful bracelet. Price, $75,000. May I buy? 
Her husband swiftly responded with the message at the telegraph office, no, comma, price too high. But there was a mistake. The telegraph operator missed one small detail in his transmission. The signal for a comma after the word no. And so the traveling wife in Europe received the reply, no price too high. <laughs> Thrilled by the good news, she bought the bracelet, and when she returned home, she showed the new bracelet to her husband, who was mortified and filed a lawsuit against the telegraph company and won. <laughs> this story is often told by English teachers to teach a common lesson on proper punctuation. But I suppose there is a deeper lesson here, and that is that words matter. What you say, what you don't say, can affect and impact a person's life, the decisions they make or choose not to make. We've all experienced this in many ways, for good and for bad. We know that words can destroy a friendship. They can taint a reputation. They can break up a marriage, ruin a career, disrupt a family. Words can split a church. But on the other hand, words can also bring life. You can encourage a spouse. You can strengthen a friendship. You can show support to a family member. You can honor the other men and women in your church. And with your words, you can influence your workplace for good. In fact, so much is at stake when it comes to our words that Proverbs puts it simply in chapter 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Our words are that powerful. And it's meant to be that way, for the Bible tells us that we were created by a communicating God. When God speaks, he creates an impact. And it also reveals his identity. We can understand who God is by what he says. And so in a similar way, he created us to communicate. And as we communicate, we not only create an impact, we also reveal our identity, the type of man or woman that we are. Proverbs also communicates in this way. Proverbs connects our words to both impact, the influence we can have, but Proverbs also connects our words to our identity. It reveals the type of person we are. Are we wise or are we foolish? Are we wicked or are we righteous? With countless vignettes and pictures, Proverbs describes the ways in which our words both impact and reveal. And I want to summarize many of those lessons under three headings, three things that we absolutely must know and take to heart about our words. And the first lesson is this, words can harm. That's one of the images that Proverbs paints when it comes to 
our foolish and unwise words. The great King Solomon, who was king over ancient Israel and recorded much of the wisdom in this book, he knew well the power of words. And he sometimes describes the use of words with language such as poison, fire, and even war. Why? Because words can harm. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There are many warnings in the book of Proverbs, and some of the most severe warnings are against words that can hurt. And one of the ways in which King Solomon describes this is by using very powerful language. And of course, the image of a sword is very powerful indeed. Like a sword that may pierce someone physically, even if only for a moment, the wound remains, even when the sword comes out. And in a similar way, words can be spoken in moments or even in seconds. And yet the wounds remain. I'm sure all of us this morning have heard words that have wounded us deeply. Maybe we've even carried them to this day. Words from our parents, words from friends, words from our children, words perhaps even from a spouse that have wounded us deeply. And though the moment when those words were spoken has passed, maybe even a long, long time ago, like when a sword is pulled out, the wound still remains. One of the reasons God forbids such reckless words is because he knows the wounds that it can leave. But if we're honest, not only have we been on the receiving end of words that wound, we've also been on the giving end of those words. If we are honest, many of us have actually said rash, or some translations say reckless words that have gone deep and wounded other people. When the book of Proverbs uses that word rash, it means no care or consideration is used for these words. Those are the types of words with no care at all, just said and thrown out there without any kind of wisdom or restraint can wound people. And it may be that God both wants to reveal and heal both the things said over us or to us that have wounded us, but he also wants to reveal and heal the things that we've said over and to other people. What are the ways in which we've just carelessly thrown out insults or we even use battle language, a jab with our words? There's a warning here. But there's not only a warning about what we might say to a person that can bring harm, but also about other people. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28, and chapter 12, verse 19 says this, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. 
Proverbs is not only dealing with the interaction of two people face to face, but also groups of people. And very often, when words go wrong, it's in the realm of lies and gossip. Both bring destruction. And sadly, friends, both are very common, too common, even within the church. Lies destroy relationships. When we lie, we are deliberately withholding truth. And when you withhold the truth, you actually build up a a wall from other people. We all know that society breaks down with lies. You can't trust. You, You don't know what to trust. And all these barriers are built. Promises cannot be trusted. Contracts are not honored. Lies can destroy marriages. We've seen that. Lies can destroy churches. Lies can destroy your witness when you lie to or about your neighbors or in the workplace. And so in being challenged by these warnings of Proverbs against lies, we need to, be, we need to ask this morning, have I lied? Have I been lying? And if so, why? Why, do, why did I lie in, in that moment? Was, to, was it to make myself look good? Was it to make another person look worse? Well, that leads to another category that we're warned about. Not only lies, but also gossip. And gossip has a particular brand of harm and may even be more common in communities like the church than we'd be willing to admit. Gossip, for definition is the spreading of unfavorable information with the intent to destroy another person. Let me just say that again. Gossip is the spread of unfavorable information intended to destroy another person. It might even be something that's true, but you have no business in saying or repeating it. Though it is very often based on hearsay or rumor. And what is the motive behind gossip and slander? Well, usually the motive is self-serving. When we gossip or when we slander, it is very often to make ourselves look good and another person look worse. So for example, you're at the office and maybe one of your colleagues or coworkers got the raise that you expected to get but did not. You're driven by jealousy and therefore when people ask you about that coworker, you say, oh well, we all know they don't work as hard as other people think, don't you? Oh, sorry, you don't know that? Oh yes, well, I've heard around the water cooler that they go home early, but oh, I'm just, you know, it's, it's not really my story to tell, even though I've just told it. <laughs> Why would we do something like that? It is to make that person look worse and ourselves look better. And friends, this happens all the time, and it happens within the church. It is very often, even in the name of just wanting to pass on important information, that we gossip about and slander other people. How often have we heard gossip carefully disguised as a prayer request? Oh, well, to the group tonight, I just just think we should pray for Tammy. You know, Tammy the other night down on Main Street on Friday night at exactly 7.32 
PM was there drinking a little bit too much. And as you know, you're telling this whole story like, oh, I, I'm only saying this just to pray for Tammy, just so that you can pray. See, here's the thing. It's important to note that Jesus told us that when we're dealing with even something that is actually wrong or even a sin issue, that you are to go to the person in question first before you talk to other people about it. So important that Jesus actually laid out a whole framework. You can read it later in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to that person first. And only if they do not receive it and will not receive it, should you then bring in other people to get involved. But how often is our go-to default position in the church is when we hear about a sin or even some wrongdoing, we don't go to the person, we just talk about the person. How often have I received emails? Well, pastor, I just wanted to inform you about so-and-so in the church doing such-and-such a thing, and I've learned over the years, because I've seen it go so bad, to stop and then stop them and say, wait a minute, have you spoken to this person about it? Well, no, I just thought I'd, I'd pass it along to you. Then I don't want to hear it. If someone in the church comes to you and they're telling you about another person, information that they probably shouldn't be telling you or that you were not privy to or a witness of, then you need to stop them and say, wait a minute, have you spoken to this person about that wrong or that sin issue? Because if not, the conversation ends here. Otherwise, we can unknowingly create a culture of gossip. When we just allow it to, to circulate, then other people join in, it creates a culture of gossip. And it should not be so within our community. Scriptures warn against this time and time again. But there's something so strangely satisfying about being on the receiving end of gossip, isn't it? Like, oh, what's the juicy goss? Tell me, what did they do? Inquiring minds want to know. But it is so important in those moments to shut it down and say, hey, you should go talk to that person first. And Matthew 18 says, only if that person is unwilling that you then tell that person, if, hey, you're not going to deal with this, I'm going to bring in another person. But you inform them that you're going to do so. This, among many other benefits, can guard against gossip. It can guard against slander. These warnings here awaken in us a conviction against gossip and slander so that we need to ask, when I'm tempted to gossip, I need to ask some questions. Am what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to say, is it something that actually tears a person down? Or is it something that simply builds me up? Is this information I even should be sharing? Is what I'm about to say true? Is it verified? Or is it an exaggeration and an embellishment. 
There are warnings against lies, warnings against insults and rash and reckless words, warnings against gossip and slander. And that is why the book of Proverbs warns us to guard our mouths. The destruction is so great that Proverbs 21 verse 23 says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. So important it is that we guard our mouths in this regard that its effects are so wide-reaching it spreads to the community. But even personally, when you guard against such things, you actually keep your own soul from trouble. It has such a far and deep-reaching effect. Of course, this isn't the only time that the Bible warns us about such speech. If you think Proverbs is full on, wait until you get to the New Testament book of James particularly chapter 3. James pulls no punches, as it were, when he speaks on the power of words. He says in James 3, 5 and 6, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James, <laughs> tell us what you really think. <laughs> He's like, I did. I gave you a whole chapter. Notice the language there. James is saying this harmful speech is set on fire by hell. Hell, of course, is the place of separation from God. And just to drive that warning home a little bit deeper, when we decide to lie or to use words of gossip and slander, we're basically saying, let's set it on fire. When we use rash or reckless words, it's as if we're lighting a match and just saying, let's set it on fire. And ultimately, all harmful speech is a result of a broken relationship with God. Friends, we need to know that these insulting, lying, gossiping, and slanderous words grieve the very heart of God, and they misrepresent Him. He knows that words matter, and so He holds us to account. One of the more sobering single sentences of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 12, at least it is for me. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Happy Sunday, everybody. <laughs> I remember the first time I read that and I thought, oh no. But Jesus does not say this to cause us to fear. He says this in order to bring us to himself. We will give an account. He cares about what we say. Our words have the power to harm. Do you know that? In what ways, perhaps, have your words been bringing harm in your relationships? We need to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal this to us. But that's not all. That's not the only lesson in the book of Proverbs. Our words can harm, but secondly, our words can help. There is good news here. In a massive contrast to words that harm, Proverbs describes words that help and uses beautiful imagery to do so. Solomon uses the language of good food, beautiful jewelry, effective medicine, and refreshing drink to describe the power of 
helpful words. And like a craftsman knows how to use their tool, so you and I should understand the strength of different kinds of words and know how they can help in different ways. Let me give you just five examples of words that can help in the book of Proverbs. I'll I'll say them now and then we'll walk through them for a few moments. Truthful words, kind words, timely words, tempered words, and gracious words. All of these are examples of words that help. These are words that should mark a community like this, mark our lives. The first is words that are true. Truthful words create trust. When you speak the truth, it creates trust. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 5 says, A reliable witness always tells the truth. But an unreliable one tells nothing but lies. Someone who's telling the truth, how can you relate to them? You can rely upon them. We know that we fall apart without the truth. There's only distrust. But as we are honest, as we tell the truth, we're saying, hey, there's a foundation that we can stand upon together. If lies build walls because we're keeping things from each other, the truth lays a foundation so that we can build together. The truth lays a solid foundation upon which relationships of trust can be built. We need to be those who are truth tellers. And when we are not telling the truth and we try to add all these other words, even the times that we try to affirm others lose their power because we're not being truthful. Now, as I say that, some of you are like, oh, I love the truth. In fact, I regard myself as a truth teller. Wherever I go, whoever I'm with, particularly with my spouse, I tell it like it is. Okay, well, if that's you, good job. But you also need to know about kind words. See, some of us, we tell the truth, but maybe you're not very kind. This also is hugely important to Proverbs and it should be important to us. Truthful words create trust, but secondly, kind words bring life. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4, but cruel words crush your spirit. It's important that we speak words of truth, especially in our culture, our ever-changing culture, but we also need to speak words that are kind. Kind words are words that you speak when you take into consideration the one that you are speaking to. We've all heard it said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's cliche, but there's a lot of truth there. When you speak to someone else, maybe you even have to present something that is challenging or a correction. You are also to do so with kindness. If you have children and correction is is necessary, it can be a hard thing to do. You have to tell them the truth. But when you tell them the truth, to say words of kindness means that you take into consideration who they are and you remind them of why you're telling them what they need to hear in the first place. A parent can say to a child, hey, we need to talk about this wrong that you've done, but I'm addressing this because I love you. I care for you. And I want what is best for you. That's an example of a a kind word. You're saying, hey, we're going to talk about the truth. 
but I want you to know that it's for your good. I want you to know that, that I care about you. I care for your good. I'm not just saying this for any kind of benefit to myself. See, some people like to tell the truth because they like to be right. And oh, that feels good. You're like, I win. And that feels great. But a kind word is, hey, this is for your benefit, not for mine. I'm not saying this to win a battle. I'm saying this so that you might be set free. We need to be a community of those, especially in this cultural moment, who speak words of truth, but also of kindness. But there's another kind of speech that Proverbs talks about, and it is so helpful. You could know what truth to say, and you might even have a kind way to say it, but when do you say it? Timeliness is huge in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. A word fitly or aptly spoken and in due season is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Reflect on that sentence for a moment. A word spoken in due season. You can know the right thing to say, but when do you say it? It's probably not helpful. Let's say you have a correction to offer to somebody else in this community. And you meet up with them for coffee. And they begin to share with you how horrible their week was. They might not keep their job. They're having so many struggles at home. They feel spiritually dry. They feel so discouraged and bleak. And you're like, great, are you done? Okay, now I need to correct you on something. I told you this story uh, before, but it's worth telling again. My wife and I were, when we were living in London, we flew back to the States in order to visit friends and family, but we got the opportunity to go to Hawaii to help out with the Reality Honolulu prayer tour. Why wouldn't you? But we had this opportunity to go early, which means we dropped the kids off in California. Great idea. Wisdom. And then we got to, to Honolulu early and we were there before anyone else arrived and my wife and I were just sitting poolside. We ordered appetizers. It was 81 degrees. We were living in London. Just, the palm trees were swaying and in that moment my wife said, I just wanted to take this opportunity to bring up some character issues I've seen in your life. And I was like, what? No! No! We're not talking about character. We have appetizers. 81 degrees. I feel like I haven't seen the sun in years. <laughs> We're not talking about my character issues. In that moment, I felt there couldn't have been a worse time to address it. But because my wife is wise, who can find such a woman? <laughs> she knew that in the weeks leading up to that moment was one of some of the most stressful times of like church planning. And she was wise in when she brought up what she needed to bring up to me. She was waiting until I wasn't overwhelmed with stress in order to bring up very, something very important that we needed to talk about. I think the timeliness of words is kind of an underrated value in the church. You might have a word of knowledge that God has given you, but you need a word of wisdom as to know when and how. Truth creates trust. Kind words bring life and timely words, they actually build a bridge. It's not just enough to know what is true, it's when do I say it? 
and your words can help, perhaps when the words of others don't. That leads to a, a fourth way in which Proverbs commends helpful words to us, and those are words of restraint. Let's call them tempered words. Temper, of course, is that act of taking a hammer and like hammering in the metal so that it's a certain shape. It denotes this idea of restraint in your speech, and that's the idea given in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Oh, what a prophetic word for the times in which we are living. In our culture, we feel entitled to say whatever we want, whenever we want, in the way that we want, according to however we feel. That is affirmed, that is promoted in our culture today. And sadly, often the church does the same. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this new relationship with God reminds us that our words serve a greater purpose. And it is not always good for us to just vent and unleash what we have to say. In fact, it's not on the screen, but I love some of the Proverbs about being silent. They don't often get underlined, but here's a few. Again, they're not on the screen. Here's a good one for you. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> Maybe you're in a work meeting and everyone's just going nuts. Just like full vent. One of the wisest things for you to do is just to sit there and maybe even just stroke your chin. <laughs> and I guarantee you people will think, oh, such wisdom. Who is the God you serve? Tell us. We have not seen such restraint in the year 2022. And you're like. It's so countercultural to hold your tongue. When the culture says vent. There are times when not saying something or restraining is actually wise. Here's another one for you. Again, not on the screen. Proverbs 10 says, Where words are many, sin is not far behind. <laughs> you just get this unhinged rhythm of just going and going and going. And like inevitably, if there's no restraint, you're like, something bad is for sure going to happen here. Restraint is wise. Tempered speech. Or as I like to say, God created a save as draft folder for a reason. <laughs> there are things in your heart, you're like, oh, I just want to say, hey, just settle down. Maybe just put them in that little folder and pray about them tonight. By the way, I should have said, this not only applies to verbal speech, but to everything you type. Emails. Uh, some of you are like, oh yeah, I never say that. I just write it. Well, social media engagement, the emails you write, Oh, how many times have you given or received an email that begins in all caps? <laughs> to whom it may concern, all caps, as per my previous email that you've so clearly ignored and then you just unleash. How many times have you read something and you're just like, man, these people are just spewing out whatever is in their hearts. And we see it on social media all the time. And sadly, it is at times also characteristic of the church. Friends, we need 
tempered speech. In fact, the, the image that the commentators say is given there in Proverbs 29 is the image of a courtroom gone mad. But there's one person showing restraint that brings calm. So important. But there's one more. It's more than just restraining what you don't say. It's also giving careful thought to what you do say. Fifthly, gracious words. Gracious words give strength. We need to speak words that are true, kind, timely, restrained, and gracious. As Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. God knows we need to see and hear about evidences of his grace in our lives. One of the ways to appreciate gracious words is to imagine their absence. When there is no gracious word, when there is no encouragement, people will often feel unloved, unimportant, and useless. God himself knows that we need reminders, and so you'll read all throughout Scripture commands where God instructs us to encourage one another and to continue to encourage one another. How can you do that? You can start today. Primarily in two ways. You can point out evidences of grace in someone else's life, and you can get really specific. You can practice that today. Point out an evidence of grace in someone's life. Even if you have to maybe say a hard truth to them, you could say, hey, this is how I see God's work in your life. I see God at work in your life. I see God at work in your circumstances. A word of encouragement is technically anything that will lift a person's heart toward God. Hey, look at how God is at work in your life. I see the Spirit moving in your life in this way. I want you to see that evidence of grace. And I'm going to be very specific. Because these gracious words, as Proverbs says, they're like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul. Gracious words can help other people see their their worth and who they are in Christ. Gracious words can help people see the value of their gifts. Gracious words can help people see the importance of their presence within the community. You can do that today, and you can even start now. How can you show gracious words today? But all of these truthful, kind, timely, restrained, gracious words, they need to come out of us. But how do they come inside of us? And that's the last thing. We need to be aware according to Proverbs, that not only can words harm and words help, but lastly, words can reveal your heart. See, Proverbs, like the rest of the Bible, pulls back the curtain and makes it very clear where the source of our words lie. And so Proverbs 16, verse 23 says, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Notice the interaction between the heart and what comes out of the mouth. We said that Proverbs not only shows how words create an impact, but they also reveal an identity. And here it is the wise. The wise in heart trains their mouths. It's the evidence of what is going on inside. To use the tree or the vine analogy often used in Scripture, the fruit bears witness to the nature of the plant or the tree. If an apple is the fruit, then it must be an apple tree. Jesus used this analogy often. 
by saying out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The source of our words is our hearts. So where we need change today is at the very source, in our nature, in our hearts. So listen, I want to be very clear this morning. The point today is not for you to say, okay, great, I'm going to go make, out, I'm going to go make a list and I'm going to go get better at saying all the right words. That would not go deep enough. That's not the, the point today. It goes deeper than that. Proverbs points to what the rest of Scripture makes clear. For our words to be healed, our hearts need to be healed. For our words to change, our hearts need to be changed. So there's two very simple but very powerful calls to action for all of us this morning. And the first is this. If we've noticed the ways in which our speech has not been truthful or gracious enough, or we've engaged in gossip and lying and slander, start here. Ask God to cleanse your heart. Recognize this morning that it's a heart issue. It's not just a matter of your moral will. You're going to go out there and you're going to kill it this week and using like gracious words. You need to ask God to cleanse your heart. That means we need to realize the depth of our need is actually evidenced in the use of our words. Do what the prophet Isaiah did in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah was called by God to pronounce judgment on Israel because Israel had turned away and rebelled against God. And so for the first few chapters of Isaiah's book, he's going around Israel and he's saying, woe to you and woe to you and woe to you too. Until he himself is in the very presence of God. And then he says something else in Isaiah 6. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you're in the presence of God, you know that it's an issue of the heart and you cry out and you say, woe to me. I'm a man, I'm a woman of unclean lips, you might say. Which means that we need to recognize words of gossip, lying, slander. They're not only sins against others, they're actually sins against God. And though they might seem small and acceptable to us, they are not small or acceptable to God. Ask this morning, where is it that I'm putting myself up and pushing other people down? Confess this morning, God, without you, I would just drift into danger. My words would just set people on fire. Confess that today. Just say, God, my words have not been what they are. I need you to cleanse my heart. See, confession is the right alternative to venting. Whenever you feel just the need to just go off and vent, take that and confess it to the Lord. And say, God, cleanse my heart. And here's the good news. If you ask God to clean your heart, he'll do it. Isn't that good news? He'll do it. As Isaiah experienced in Isaiah 6, he said, After I said this, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. He said, Then one of the seraphim, that is the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. 
And in that beautiful language, do not miss what is taking place. He was forgiven because he received from a sacrifice. And that is a direct line to the good news about Jesus Christ. We remember that it is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died in our place for our sins. He was on the altar, if you will. And it's through his sacrifice that we can be cleansed, that you and I can be forgiven. He didn't just come to be our sage. He came to be our savior. The perfect son of God who never spoke a word of slander. He always refused to engage in gossip or tear people apart. In fact, you never see Jesus apologizing in the gospels. <laughs> you never see Jesus saying, oh, sorry guys, I was so upset yesterday. Kind of words just came out. Sorry about that. Don't put that in the gospel, Mark. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus spoke perfectly. But it wasn't just to be our example, it was to be our savior. And think about this, when Jesus was delivered up to be crucified on a cross, he took on himself all the insults and slander and gossip and rage and the wrath of humanity. If that were me on the cross and I were experiencing all this insult, I would unleash hell on them. But Jesus instead unleashed heaven. When Jesus was on the cross getting slandered, you know what he said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And because of his perfect sacrifice, we too can be forgiven. He bore the words of hurt so that we can receive the words of healing. We are forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus heals your words by healing your heart. So confess and ask God to cleanse your heart. And then lastly, ask God to fill your heart. God, fill my heart with truth. We are brought alive because of God's truth. Even for the hurtful, harmful words that have been spoken over you, God's word is more true and greater than those words. You could say, well, people have said, my life is nothing, but God said, I'm adopted and accepted forever. God's word is what brings healings to our hearts. You may not forget the hurtful or harmful words spoken by you or to you, but they can be redeemed through the healing power of God's word taken into our hearts. And as we allow him to fill our hearts, it will overflow into the words that we say. And that's why Isaiah, experiencing this cleansing, responded with this. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. As God cleanses our hearts and fills our hearts with good words, we can be sent out. That might be being sent out to go ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness where harmful words were spoken. It may be to go out and to speak those true, kind, timely, restrained, gracious words. Healing words come from a healed heart and that is exactly what Jesus wants to do in us right now. So let's pray that he would do that. Let's pray that we, our hearts would be open to his healing. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do not pretend that when it comes to words, our track record is perfect and pure. We are like Isaiah who in your perfect presence, we realize that we are men and women of unclean lips. We confess that to you, Lord. May your spirit shine a light on the areas in which our speech has not glorified you. 
and has been harmful to others. We confess to you the times in which words have been spoken to us that have deeply harmed us. We bring those to you and we ask that you would cleanse us, that you would renew us, that you would fill us with your spirit to overflowing with the good word of your truth, the good word of the gospel, that we might be transformed from the inside out and that we would have truth and grace on our lips because there's truth and grace in our hearts. We pray that that would begin even right now. For some, I believe you want to break a pattern of harmful speech. I pray that you'd break it today in the name of Jesus. You don't convict to shame us. You convict to heal us. And I pray that we would receive that cleansing and that renewing. And for anyone that does not yet know you, I pray that right now they would put their faith and their trust in you, Lord Jesus, and that they would experience forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Would you do that now, God? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.